the Lakers are 17-time NBA champions, and LeBron gets his fourth ring. But was this the hardest championship journey in league history? We're going to discuss that. And although the Eagles drop another one on Sunday, there were some, you know, there were some positives to take away from it. We're going to talk about it. And we make our quarter season very early NFL MVP predictions. And offensive and defensive and coach of the year predictions as well. All of that and more on episode eight of the Restricted Zone podcast. I am your host, Jonah Wooten, joined by Chris. What's up, y'all? Chris McClendon. Jamar Morant. What's up, y'all? And Raphael Ortiz, who's back with us. What's up, man? How y'all doing? Sorry I couldn't make episode seven. Had some things to take care of, but I'm back here on episode eight. Colin and DP, unfortunately, won't be with us today. And hopefully one day we can, you know, finally just like sooner or later, just get all of us in on one episode, just have a full house. But for now, it's just the four of us. And uh, guys, before we get into any of that stuff that I just mentioned, I want to just—I just want to um, address, you know, the Dak Prescott situation and you know what happened on Sunday. Uh, very, very hard thing to watch. Very gruesome injury. Um, for those of you who don't know, everyone should because of the internet. But those of you who don't know, you know, Dak Prescott suffered a gruesome uh, ankle injury or foot injury. In Sunday's game versus New York Giants, and uh, his season, you know, has come to an end, an abrupt end to what was actually a really, like, solid-looking season, you know, coming from Dak Prescott. He had, you know, great numbers early on, huge bevy of weapons, you know, a new head coach. Um, he was looking really good. I mean, I even had him on my fantasy team. Like, he was even as an Eagles fan, drafting a Cowboys quarterback, it seems bizarre, but I had to do it because I knew he was going to put up, you know, big numbers this year. He wanted that new contract. He was going to play for that. And, you know, then this happens so early in the year. It's really devastating. Even as an Eagles fan, like, it's, you throw all that out the window when you see something like that. And it was really hard to watch. Um, I just want to get you guys, like, your take and, you know, your emotions, how you're feeling after all that. Like, how you guys feeling? I mean, I, w- I would say just even as a as not even a big football fan, I mean, injuries in any sport and anything is, is, is a terrible thing to deal with. I just feel like it takes so much away from the potential of the game and the competition of the game, and you just can't help but feel bad for certain players for, you know, the hard work that they put in just to have their season end abruptly in that way. I just – all you can really hope for is just that he has a speedy recovery and he comes back twice as good. How you feeling about it, Mark? Yeah, going off what Ralph said. Um, well, I'm a yeah, me being a Giants fan and me watching the game and seeing the injury, it even hurt me because I'm a football fan and Dak has a pretty good game and I wouldn't mind actually watching Dak. He was actually doing good this season, like you said, he was putting up numbers and that contract he got, he was really playing for it. But another thing, um, Dak was going through a lot earlier this year. I mean, he just lost his mom. He just lost his brother, mm-hmm. and then this happens to him. So I really felt like this is something that's really hurting him inside more than, like, physically being out there on the field. So I just hope for a speedy recovery and for every – like, I hope everything goes well for him because he was really doing his thing this season. Chris? Uh, Basically what y'all said, it was – Dak was really having to – Impressive year. He was actually even impressing me, and I'm not really that big of a 
Dak Prescott fan. Um, I've said in the past before, after his and Carson Wentz rookie campaign, I would take Dak. But then after seeing the two years that Carson Wentz had, I've said that Carson was over Dak. And then based off of last year and just him saying he wanted his $40 million, I was saying he's a good quarterback, but he wasn't worth the $40 million a year. But he was starting to show me he's worth a big contract. I don't know if it was still $40 million, but he was showing me this year that he's worth a big contract. And it sucks that it ended the way it did because he was only a franchise tech. So now he's going to a situation where similar to Earl Thomas, he wants his money, but now we, we're not even sure if the Cowboys are going to give him his money since he doesn't have a long-term deal. So it's a really unfortunate situation for him. Uh, I do want him to come back and to come back stronger than he was and again prove his case that he's still better than half these quarterbacks in the NFL. But like all y'all said, it was a – it was sad to see him go down the way he did, and all you can do is hope for a speed recovery. Yeah, at first, I mean, I felt the same way as you did about his contract situation. I thought, you know, he was worth some money, but not, you know, $40 million. Like, come on, that's crazy. But this season, you know, he was bound to shut me and a lot of people up, and he was, you know, actually playing for those numbers and actually, you know. He was, he was impressed with me. Well, you said he wasn't impressing you? No, he was impressing me. That's what oh, I yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was definitely playing for it. But, you know, fortunately, this happens. And, you know, in a perfect world, the Cowboys would still give him that big contract. But, you know, this is a business and things necessarily don't work that way. So we're just going to have to find that out later on. But um, another point I wanted to bring up about this is, like, you know, it's really, like, unfortunate coincidence um, that on the same day that Alex Smith returned after his gruesome injury, his career-threatening, life-threatening broken leg injury two years ago, the same day that he returned, you know, this happens to Dak, and it kind of just continues the string of, you know, just huge injuries to star players in the uh, in the NFC East. You know, it happened with Carson three years ago. Two years ago, Alex Smith. Earlier this year, Saquon Barkley, and now Dak Prescott. It's just Odell. Odell as well, yes. Y'all like, had just, a lot of injuries. I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a lot of injuries. Wow. Drew, Drew, Drew. To quarterbacks, like star players. And, you know, RG3, you want to bring that up? RG3 not once, but twice. You know, he was playing for Washington, so it's just unfortunate, you know, series of events. I heard about the, uh, what is it, like the NFL NFL cover curse? Whoever's on the uh, cover of the game gets well, I mean, that's, like that's, that. that's for men. That's something different. But um, it's I think it's been put to rest because of Patrick Mahomes. That's just a side note. Yeah. But I believe yeah. it is real. And Lamar Jackson's going to be fine, too. Um, but yeah, it's just – it's hard to watch. Really is. I mean, I hope he does come back. I feel like he will. Like we've seen so many all those injuries I just mentioned, you know, all those guys came back. We've seen similar, you know, injuries happen in basketball as well, like with uh Paul George and um Celtics player. Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward, thank you. Sorry. It was right there, it was on the tip of my tongue, I can't get it out. Gordon Hayward, you know, that was recent and they both came back strong from those injuries, you know. And unfortunately, you know, in history, 
these injuries have happened, and it was career-ending, like, you know, Joe Theismann was also a Washington player, another NFC East player, uh, former quarterback, and, you know, Kevin Ware, what happened, you know, with him in, like, in Louisville, um, that was rough, too, but, you know, I feel like Dak will be back. I feel like he'll be as good as ever. Will he be a Cowboy? I'm not sure. Because uh, Andy Dalton, he's going to take over. And for some weird reason, I've just got like this bad feeling in my stomach that he's actually going to take the Cowboys to the playoffs. I mean, I don't know how, I, how you guys feel about it, but I feel like he's in, this, in a situation, in, a, you know, in, in an environment where he's going to be comfortable and we're really going to see like the best of Andy Dalton. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Uh, well, for me, I think he'll be a good replacement. I mean, I was actually one of the people early in the offseason when he first signed that kind of could make the argument that Andy Dunn should still be a starting quarterback. But when you look at the roster and the offense itself, it does change the dynamic when you have somebody like Dak Prescott who can sometimes scramble, who can get out the pocket to somebody like Andy Dunn. Not saying he can get out the pocket, but he's not as dynamic, as elusive, as quick as Dak Prescott. But what helps him out, though, is that he has weapons around him. He's got two stud wide receivers and a great running back. The only question is that offensive line has been very skeptical, which has been very surprising to see. Now, if the offensive line can get together, he'll probably be in good shape. But if that's the case, then this could be the last year Dak Prescott being a Cowboy. Yeah, and I don't mean to kind of just jump to the Andy Dalton, you know, conversation. You know, this injury still is fresh. But I just felt like I would be remiss if I didn't at least bring it up. And, Mara, I just want to ask you real quick before we move on. Do you think the Cowboys now are, you know, still the front runners for the division? Or do you think it's even more wide open now than it was before? Um, I think I think at the end of the day, it's always going to be wide open. No matter what happens, no matter who goes out, no matter who comes back. I think it's still going to be wide open because everybody is just terrible. But I think some team, I think some teams can gain an edge on that by beating Dallas compared to beating the whole NFL by saying because they can get there with their division wins by beating the Cowboys and beating Washington and beating New York. So mm-hmm. I I can say they had they can edge it more because now maybe they can beat Dallas, but they can just win the division off of that alone even if they don't beat the whole entire NFL. Got you. Um, moving on now, uh, the Lakers, two nights ago, won their 17th NBA title. Game six, it was a complete wash. It was a blowout. Um, the Heat kind of just ran out of gas. And, you know, I did pick the Heat to force a game seven. I don't know why, but oh, I, am, I had a good feeling. I had a good feeling that they would, you know, find some momentum and force a game seven. I still thought the Lakers would win. But uh, they did. They did in six. They took advantage of the Heat kind of just gassing out. And, you know, they earned their 17th title. And LeBron gets his fourth. And I kind of just want to start out with this question. You know, we've been, you know, hearing it the last couple of nights. But is this the hardest earned NBA championship in history? I'll go first. The floor is open. The floor is open. Uh- all right, I'll, I'll go first. Um, so, again, I heard the same question. And at first when I heard it, I was going to go with the seventh when he beat the 7-3-9 Golden State Warriors and came back from the 3-1 deficit. But when I thought about it a little bit more and just the circumstances that happened, 
uh, in the year 2020, I ended up saying that this has been as hard as title run. And it's not in the case of, like, the teams they had to beat because, I mean, the, the, the teams they played were competitive, but they were better, as they showed, they were better than all those teams. I'm just saying the case of just all the outside noise that's happened in the NBA. So, first with the coronavirus, you got to shut down the playing facility so people aren't playing for a couple months now. Now, this affects how – this now, this helped – this blows a blessing and a curse when they – didn't play. It was a blessing because now everybody gets a chance to be healthy, but now it's a curse because let's say since we had to stay quarantined, we had no choice. We couldn't go to a gym to work out, work on our game and stuff. So now everybody was rusty coming back to the court, as you saw in the first couple of days in the bubble when we saw like the real competition again. Um, not only that, but just all the riot, the protests and riots surrounding the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor cases and just everything that's going on. It was a lot it was just a lot of outside noise that kind of just distracted the NBA, which is why I feel like this was the hardest road to the finals because they almost took two, they took one big break, almost took two breaks in the NBA season. Because for real, for real, this is supposed to end in June. We should already be talking about the next season. The season should have started already, to be honest with you. A couple of weeks from now, the season should be starting. But just because of all the outside noise that's happening, just everything that's happening in the world today, that's why I feel like this has been their toughest title run. Why I feel like it's been LeBron's toughest title run. Raph, would you agree? Um, I can see his point, but then I, I still wouldn't say I don't know. I, I still wouldn't say it's it's this hard a title run. I don't think I don't think the quarantine was really an excuse for uh some ball players to not like still stay on top of their game. I think. I think most of these guys still have, have access to, to gyms and things like that. I know LeBron was still working out for sure, and you can clearly tell. And a lot of people in the Lakers and a lot of different teams were still working out throughout the quarantine. It was definitely, I would say, it was more so of a blessing to LeBron because you gotta, you, you're talking about somebody who made eight straight trips to the finals, didn't make the playoffs last year, but this was still more time for him to recover and be able to, you know, turn on that uh, switch in the playoffs. I just think – Looking back at 2016, him losing in 2015, losing his two best players at the time, and then and then that team to only get better the next year. And for a lot of people to say, well, you have Kyrie and K-Love now. It's time to step up. And then them guys to go down 3-1. You had Klay Thompson saying, man, he's in his feelings. Klay Thompson was also saying, yeah, this team is better than the, uh, than the Showtime Lakers. You had a lot of people saying, man, is this the best team ever assembled? You're down 3-1. And then for everything to transpire after that, I just have to say that had to be the toughest. And that was the first championship for Cleveland. Uh, so, Raph and Chris, they stand on opposite sides. Mar, where do you fall? I agree with Chris because everything he said showed who was really the toughest team immensely prepared in the bubble. And you, you can see that because the Heat made it to the finals, not saying that the Heat, don't have a finals caliber team, but not very, I would say very few people picked the Lakers to actually go to the finals when the playoffs actually started. And it showed who was really mentally there after everything that they went through that this whole year being, and then let alone the Lakers and the tragic passing of uh, Kobe Bryant and that weighing on their shoulders a little bit, saying that, that uh, they got to finish this one for Kobe. So I have to agree with more with Chris, and I hear Ralph's uh, point, but I got to agree with more with Chris. 
Now, now that uh, Mark actually said that, I can see where he's coming from too, from a, from a mental standpoint. Because I, you can't see kind of some teams that you were just mentally out of it. And I would say a, a good example of that is definitely the Clippers. Yeah, see, because like Rav, basketball wise, based off the teams they face, by far, twenty sixteen was the toughest road they had to go to the finals by far. But I was just saying, based off everything else, because it was more than just basketball that happened. That's why I'm saying that this year was the toughest road to, to the finals. Yeah, I can see your point. Uh, well, uh, I mean, the NBA season now it is over, but I mean. Basketball talk necessarily isn't because, remember, we still have free agency right around the corner, and we have the 2020 NBA draft, which is coming months late, but it's right around the corner. And then all the likelihood we're going to switch around quick into another NBA season that's going to be right here before like, before you even know it, it's going to be here. So um, let's make some early predictions. What do you guys think will be the 2020-2021 NBA MVP next year? Kevin Durant. Hmm. <laughs> I'm kind of agreeing with Mar, and I'm kind of disagreeing with him. Uh, I don't think it will be LeBron. I'll say that. And I'm only saying it's not, I don't feel it's going to be LeBron because now uh, it's going to be shorter rest in between now and the next season. So we're not sure how these players are going to come back, especially teams like Miami and the Lakers who – playoff runs to the finals. We're not sure how they're going to come back. So I would say based off of that, I'll either go with Giannis again. I'm only saying Giannis because honest, because we've seen that the MVP is more so the fan favorite than the team, than what it actually means. So because of the fan favorite, I'm going to go with Giannis. But I would, not be, I would not be surprised if Kawhi Leonard won it. What do you think, Raf? Uh, when you first asked the question, the first player that came to my mind was actually Curry. I mean, Curry has had some time off. He he didn't go to the bubble. I mean, if they can pull some moves and get some players to the team and, and Clay's coming back healthy, they're going to have a nice squad. And I can see Curry going off. You know, I feel like – I mean, I just feel like Curry has been so disrespected in the bubble. Like with people saying, oh, Dame Lillard this and all these other guys. I feel like he's going to come out and just snap. I wouldn't call it disrespect, but I mean, listen, I'm not saying Dame's a better shooter, but Dame Lillard got that curry range with him, too. He got the range, but 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 I mean, if if you're talking about how many you're making out of 100 shots, I'm, I'm taking curry. I mean, curry. Like, listen, curry going to make more, but, I'm just, but Dame got the range, so I wouldn't really call that disrespect. But I mean, I, I can see what you're saying with Kurt, with Curry being possibly an MVP. I just think that this is really Kawhi's first time failing the way he did, and I think you just want to see his response motivate him. I think it's really going to motivate him to come back with vengeance. Do you think that team can like that Clippers team right now, without anybody getting traded or anything like that, can really make a deep run? I, I mean, I heard some reports. I don't know if it was true that uh, a lot of players were getting on a Paul George for his uh, performance. I mean, well, I mean, they absolutely – well, I think based on the team itself, I think they can still make the Western Conference Finals. The Finals itself, I still think they're missing a point guard to win the whole thing. But I think based on the team itself, they can make a Western Conference Final run. I mean, like I said, they were 
one game away from making the Western Conference Finals, and then that's when the collapse happened. So it's not like they can't do it. They just didn't close it out. Kind of like uh, – what was the team I could say? It, kind of like the Clippers in a sense. I mean, they had the team to do it. Well, I said the Clippers. I'm not talking about them. But like Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, they had the team to do it. They just shut down. But I think Kawhi is going to respond different this year because, like I said, this is the first time he's really failed in the NBA season. Because any other time he wasn't the main guy, or in 2017 against the Warriors, he got hurt. So this is going to be his first time really responding to the criticism that he's been getting. And I think he'll respond very well. So I think based off of Kawhi's attitude now going forward, the way he'll respond, and the rest of the team, I think they have what it takes to make another deep playoff run. I think to win the finals, though, they still need a point guard. Do you think – Do you think? Uh, well, well what, what point guard were you thinking would fit the team? Okay, so because I'm on my first, and I'm not saying it's going to be him, but somebody like Darren Collison, and I'm saying him because he's somebody that can push the tempo. He can set the tempo. He's a he's somewhat of a floor general, as what he's shown me before, and not like that. But he can he also has a jump shot. He can play some good defense, but he has like another and he has like another score to the team. But the main thing about it is he can control the tempo of the team. That's why. So I will say they need somebody like a Darren Collison. I don't know if they're going to get him exactly because I know the reports that he might come out of retirement to join the Lakers. He didn't do that. So I'm not sure if he's even planning on coming out of retirement. But a point guard of that, they don't need, like, an extraordinary point guard. They just need somebody because what we've already seen is Reddy Jackson is not the answer. Well, all right. Um, I think I'm going to go with the safe pick. Wait. Before we uh, switch, I have a I have a question for Raf. Mm-hmm. How many more championships did you see the Lakers winning? I can see them winning one or two more. Okay. I mean, I feel like I feel like now. I think um, I'm not going to say LeBron is declining by any means, but I do think that uh, LeBron himself acknowledges that if if they're going to be in a win situation. AD is going to have to probably take the mantle from now on, and he's going to have to accept a bigger role. I mean, he, he obviously has a big role as is, but he's going to, you know, more more uh, more time and development is going to be focused more on AD. So, I mean, I think they're still contenders next year. Um, and the year after that, I mean, if they if they continue, if they add on a couple pieces, and I, I, I mean, I, I feel like they can be competitive for another two years. It's good that you uh, brought that up because, I mean, I feel like I'm going to go with the safe pick here, and I say next year I feel like LeBron could win the MVP. I know he's going to be a year older, but I think it won't make that much of a difference. I think a 36-year-old LeBron could still win MVP, and I felt like he should have won it this year. And I feel like that's just going to be, you know, a little extra motivation for him for next year. I feel like he's going to take it, you know, quote-unquote, quote-unquote personally. Um, so... That's my pick, just for the record. I feel like in that regular season game uh, before the whole quarantine shutdown where uh, the Lakers played the Bucks and, and LeBron absolutely dominated Giannis, that's when I said, all right, this is the this is the true MVP right here. They're not going to give it to LeBron. I just feel like after a while, they just, you know, they kind of just don't like to give it to one player. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, Giannis certainly deserved it. He put the numbers up, but. You know, I mean, it's LeBron, and and I don't think LeBron, you know, kind of 
cares much about it. He's more so focused on winning championships at this point. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I understand. He really doesn't need it, per se. But I felt like he did enough to earn it. But, you know, Giannis, obviously he earned it too. But I felt like it, it, it could have it went either way. I just felt like it was LeBron's to lose. But That's um, awkward because his little brother got a ring before him. <laughs> <laughs> great point, great point. He sure does. Uh, you guys, we're going to switch over to football, though, because, you know, we're two days removed from this game, and I've kind of, you know, let all my emotions get out, got all my emotions out. I'm looking at it with a clear mind right now. Eagles drop another game. We're 1-3-1. We're only a half game back of first place in the division. Anyways, but, you know, it's still tough, you know, to have a game, another winnable game go through your fingertips or go through your arms if you're uh, – can't even remember his name right now. He's just like, I don't even want to remember his name. Um, had a ball go right through his arms in the end zone. Uh, that's how this that – was, that was really the summary of this game. It just kind of went through our fingers like the Washington game and the Cincinnati game. But, you know, I don't want to be, you know, too down on it, too depressed about it because, I mean, there were some positives. I feel like Carson – isn't back by any means, but I felt like that was maybe his best performance of the year. Uh, he did make, you know, he did throw another sloppy interception, but I've come to just expect those from him. Um, but, you know, he played well, and he didn't really have much help in terms of the offensive line. You know, he could have gotten rid of the ball too, obviously, but he, he was sacked five times, and Doug Peterson, once again, Runs away from the run game. You know, Miles Sanders only had 11 touches. Why just 11? I know he had 10 carries for six yards, but, you know, you don't just go away from that. Doug Peterson continues to go away from Miles Sanders. I don't know if it's a trust issue. I don't know if it's a a snap snap count kind of a thing where he's only getting a certain amount of snaps. But it's kind of irritating, and I feel like that's hurting Carson more than anybody because now he's – being exposed to old line more. I want to ask this question because in the group chat you talked about how you see a slight improvement in uh, Carson Wentz's performance. I want to ask you what exactly stands out to you about Carson Wentz's performance now as to what she wasn't doing earlier in the season. And then I want to ask Chris and Mar, would you agree with uh, Jonah in saying that there's a slight improvement in Carson's performance? Yeah, I feel like for the most part he's completing more passes. Um, they're trying more deep balls and. He's still overthrowing deep passes, but, you know, I didn't see him overthrow, you know, the easy throws that he was earlier in the season. And, again, I shouldn't be happy about that because he – I should expect him to make all the easy throws in year five, but this is where we are, and, you know, this is what we have to be excited about. It's it's unfortunate, but, I mean, I'll take it. Um, He needs to still improve on the interceptions, obviously. He didn't fumble the ball, so that's a positive. Um, he still has to get rid of the ball, but, you know, I felt like effort wise, this was his best game. And, you know, I didn't see him out there with like bad, you know, body language. Like I had, you know, earlier in the season, I feel like that's improved as well. I think, I feel like his confidence is rising. I felt like the San Francisco win last week 
definitely boosted his confidence and the team's confidence a lot because I did not expect them to score 29 points in the Steelers' defense. Um, so, I mean, they almost scored 30 on this defense, which is, I mean, again, you know, you want to win, but I'll take what I can get. And I'm seeing improvements from from him and his offense in general. So I don't know how you guys feel about that. I agree with that. Uh, yeah, the only thing is just his deep ball. He has the arm, he just doesn't have the accuracy. Mm-hmm. Like you said, he improved on the, the easy throws, but he shouldn't be improving. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said from his uh, overall performance. Yeah, that deep ball, man. And it was so crisp three years ago, even, you know, two years ago. Like, that was really one of the strengths of his game. Just how much, like, arm talent, quote-unquote, he had and his deep ball ability. And it's kind of all just gone away. It's just shot. But he's starting to get that rhythm. He's starting to get that back. He's starting to get that, you know, confidence back to where he's going to make more of those throws, whether they're being completed or not. He's just going to, you know, take those shots, per se. So, I mean, that's that's all I'm asking for right now. It's just effort and some heart. That's all. Yeah, I'm a, I got to agree with you too, John. And I mean, I'll say this. That was by far the most complete game the Eagles have played this season. By far the most complete game. And Carson Wentz didn't look – he didn't have a great game, but it wasn't bad either. But it's like those, the, the game he had are games you can live with as a quarterback. It wasn't too good, too bad. It was kind of in the middle, but he did, he did okay. He, did, uh, he actually did enough to win, but it's just the fact that your defense – Got destroyed mm. by Claypool. Mm. I don't know. Chase Claypool. Was, I don't know who was on him. I don't know what was going on. But it just seemed like every time he touched the ball, he was either in the end zone or on his way to the end zone. That's what really hurt y'all. But outside of that, the Eagles, I think the Eagles played their best game of the season, even though it was a loss. Yeah, that was uh, Jalen Mills who was on him for the majority of that game. Uh, Darius Slay was on him for a couple of um, snaps, but primarily it was Mills who was uh, designated to Chase Claypool. And apparently Nate Gary was assigned to him, too, on, you know, a third and long in the fourth quarter. Gets absolutely torched. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I have no idea. Why is Gary even lined up with him? Why wasn't McLeod hovering over him? (laughs) You should have been, like, his guardian angel on that entire play. I don't know. What McLeod was doing, he was shaded over towards the slot receiver. He was shaded outside. He should have been inside that entire play. Um, Jim Schwartz for even calling, designing that. Uh, just, just, I don't know. I feel like Jim Schwartz, he is on thin ice. I feel like he's on a hot seat as a coordinator. Um I really like this stuff a couple years ago. That's kind of like just the theme of the Eagles in general. Like everything just worked for some reason three years ago. Everything just worked. Like same defense, you know, same offense, different personnel, obviously. But, you know, the same style of play or the same style of play calling. And it just it worked then, but just for some reason it just doesn't work now. This, the prevent defense – is egregious. It's disgusting. I don't even. I hate it. The sticks defense, putting everybody back to the first down marker, giving up all of those yards, all of that space. You know, Darius Slay backpedaled, 
out of the, you know, in prevent defense, he was backpedaling and just gave Chase Claypool a free first down, a gift. Um, I'm just really tired of that, and I feel like Jim Schwartz, there's a good chance he doesn't make it to the Giants game on October 22nd, week seven. I don't think – I I don't want to say – I don't want to make that bold prediction, but I feel like he might not make it to that game. I mean, this is something – this is something I said earlier. I, I said the, um, the secondary. Even even with the that being the call, like that, that was a bad play. But like you said, the safety is supposed to at least be hovering – even though that was the play that was called, supposed to be hovering mm-hmm. over that, hovering over that, and I don't know where it was. The other safety played the other route that was on the out route. He played it. I don't know why he, he was just in the, on the other side of the field when he should have been inside. And you're talking this about is, uh, Marcus Epps. Yeah, like mm-hmm. this is something that happens repeatedly. So yeah, it's I mean, and you can chalk it up to injuries, but I'm really tired of that excuse. I really am. Like. Uh, Avante Maddox went out earlier in the season and, you know, Jalen Mills had to shuffle back over to cornerback. It's like he completely forgot how to play cornerback in just a matter of months. But, you know, he's over there. And then you have Marcus Epps now at safety, riding with Cloud. He's kind of, you know, having to babysit him while having to do his own thing. It's like the same thing Malcolm Jenkins went through last year when McLeod went out with an injury. It's just – it's kind of like the same old, same old now. It's like, even with Darius Slay, like, who's been, for the most part, balling out, like, he's actually contributed to the team. I just feel like we had we got nowhere with the secondary, like, with the receivers. And I want to bring up Travis Fulgham in a second, but, you know, it feels like we just made absolutely no progress. And it's it's, it's just, I don't know, it's irritating, man. Like, I'm, I'm tired of just talking about it. I'm tired of having to bring up the same issues every week for the past two years now. Every game, we talk about the same problems. So, hold on one second. I don't mean to switch off the Eagles, but Uh it just came came to my mind. So, before I start, first, I want to say, my boys pulled out a fantastic win against the Chiefs. (laughs) That even shocked me, of all people. Shocked me. Shocked me that we did it. But I was having this conversation with somebody after the game ended, and he felt like Derek Carr wasn't a top 10 quarterback. And I think at this point to say he's not top 10 after what he's done this season is an insult to him. Because not only has his completion percentage gone up, he has, I believe, his 10 touchdown passes to one interception right now. And he's already and he's already over the 1,000-yard mark a quarter of the way through the season. And so he's having one of the best okay. seasons his career right now. So, All right, now when you when you say top 10, do you mean a body of work or just like kind of like a power ranking kind of thing for this season? I think like right now. I'm going to say power ranking. I'm going to say body of work stuff to get there because mm-hmm. even in his down years, he's been improving, but he still has more to do. Like, for example, he I, something I don't like about Derek Carr, which I think he needs to do more, is he needs to throw the ball deep more. He does, he does a lot of short passes, which is cool, but sometimes you got to take that deep shot. And that's why I'm glad we got Henry Rugg. So now he actually has somebody to throw that deep ball to. And it showed – well, not only Henry Ruggs, but Nelson Aguilar. That showed last week when he, when he threw two um, over-50-yard touchdown passes to both those people. 
So I think the body work itself is improving, but definitely power rankings alone, he's easily top 10 this year. I think so. I don't know what you guys think about that. You dare, you, you dare bring up that cursed name? <laughs> Nelson Aguilar actually producing on another team. Unbelievable. But uh, really enjoying it. Y'all was, was holding them. Congrats. Balls. Apparently. He's, he's uh, apparently, a man. Receiver, and I really did not know that until this year. He look, we saw, we saw bursts of it, you know, in 17 and 18. Like, I, I've, I've seen it, but it's just, it wasn't consistent. So, I don't know if this will be consistent. I mean, I guess. I hope so. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I don't care anymore. But, I mean, speaking of Nelson Aguilar and number 13s, Travis Fogum, number 13, currently – uh, he had a little showing out party. Like this was, man. Talk about just like a, a sigh of relief, a shot in the arm, whatever you want to call it, man. Ten catches on thirteen targets, 152 yards, 15 yards per catch, a touchdown. Um, wow! Like he was the offense yesterday, with the exception of a 74-yard Miles Sanders run. He was the offense yesterday, and I mean, I can, all I can say is that I'm proud of him. I'm happy for him. Again, we shouldn't be this excited over a 10-catch, 150-yard day. But we've been so starved of that for years since the Chip Kelly days and Jeremy Macklin did it in 2014. It's been so long since we had a receiver. Not even Alshon was able to pull put up those numbers. I mean, obviously, there were more weapons. And, he and you know, Carson and Nick Foles are both spreading the ball around. But, wow, what a day. Like, hats off to him. Hopefully that stays consistent. I don't know if it will against the Ravens secondary, but hopefully, you know, down the line, he can pull a couple more of those games out of him. Your thoughts? Good game. Show it out. Um, I was surprised. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a breath of fresh air. Like, do you think it's? Do you think this is something that can stay consistent? Yeah, that's what I just said. I mean, next week probably not. I mean, I feel like, and now that there's some film on him, and now that his name is kind of out there a little bit, I feel like the Ravens are gonna be prepared for him. I feel like the Steelers just didn't really expect any of that from him at all. No one did. Um, so I feel like the Ravens are gonna have him scouted just a little bit. You know, still got you know Ertz who's gonna be double teamed, so he might get some open looks, but. The Ravens are going to keep an eye on him, but I feel like against lesser secondaries, he can put up similar numbers, maybe not 150, but at least, you know, 100 yards, a touchdown here or there, seven to ten catches. That's all I'm hoping for. I'm not expecting this every game because it's not going to happen every game. You know, if we can do this four, five, six more times, you know, I'd be satisfied with that. And hopefully Alshon or Deshaun can get off that milk carton and, you know, come back and produce a little bit, you know, we can have a little flow of weapons, but, uh, the milk carton. <laughs> yeah, I, dare with I mean, Zach Ertz too. You can put at Ertz. Like where, where has he been? I mean, double teamed. Yes. But Kittle and Kelsey get double teamed all the time. They still make their plays. So where's Ertz? Jonah, I got a, a question for you. Mm-hmm. When you said you've been, uh, last two years, uh, week after week, complaining about the same issues. Uh, I remember when you said coming into the season, 
you said you guys really needed linebackers. Do you uh, mm-hmm. do you still really think that's your main target to look at now? Yes, and I don't want to be I don't want to be the guy that says you know I told you so or I called it. But yeah, I, I mean, I saw this coming a mile away when Hicks didn't come back. We didn't sign Hicks back. We didn't sign Bradham back. We released him. Even Kamu Gruje Hill, who was at first, you know, a special team guy, but he kind of, you know, flourished into a starting linebacker. You know, let him go as well. Uh, I knew, I knew this is just—it was a sign of things to come. And I don't know who in that Philadelphia Eagles organization believes that linebackers aren't important. But guess what? They are, and it shows. You give up, you know, 150 yards on the ground to the Rams, and you allow for. Tyler Higby and, you know, George Kittle to have, you know, huge days on you and, you know, having Gary go up against a whiteout. I, man, I mean, you could put any linebacker in that situation. I feel like you'd get the same outcome, but it's just, it felt like a slap in the face. It's just see these guys out here. And speaking of linebackers, you drafted two of them, Sean Bradley, Temple grad, you know, he got he got in a couple snaps yesterday. I mean, no, sorry, Sunday. Um, but, you know, it wasn't enough for me. I feel like you might as well just play these guys. Um, just try whatever, because Nate Gary and Duke Riley or Alex Riley, whatever, is, Alex Singleton, you know, these guys, like, I barely even know their names. Like, it's not working. It's clearly not working. And, you know, Davion Taylor, you spend a third-round pick on this kid. Your second and third-round picks – and they go to, you know, project players. Like, what does that even mean? Like, what do you mean project? We need guys who can suit up on game day. We need guys who can produce right now at a rookie, in, in the rookie season at a pretty high level. And we've seen it, you know, there, there are linebackers, there were linebackers in this draft who have come out and produced for their teams. And we spent our third round pick on a project guy. Like, I don't get it. I don't get I don't get the point of that because you don't even know how to develop talent that well. Anyways, look at Sidney Jones. You clearly don't know how to develop talent, but you want to sit here and waste your second and third round picks on guys that you want to develop and you know treat as science projects. I don't get it. So yeah, linebacker is still our number one concern. To answer your question. Okay, and do you still have faith in Carson? Uh. Yes, but it's it's very slim. Um, that that throw that he threw to Travis Fulgham week four against the 49ers, I still haven't gotten over that throw. Um, and just the you know flurries I've seen from him on Sunday, you know he kind of brought me back a little bit, but I'm still kind of on the outs with him. But I mean he's our quarterback regardless. So if he can put together a little you know run here and make the playoffs, then you know why not one more year. Uh, on that contract, he'd had to be here for another year or two anyway. So it was like, it's not like we can really get rid of him. I don't think anyone's going to take him in a trade. And, you know, obviously he's under contract, so he's not going to free agency. So he's our quarterback. So I got no choice but to have faith in him. Okay. All right. But uh, do you guys want to move on to our MVP picks and our season awards picks? 
because we kind of all had the same MVP. So um, want to just just say who it is. Uh, Russell Wilson. Yeah. Uh, uh, Russell Wilson's been Zeph Russell, but uh, I don't have him winning the Offensive Player of the Year, though. I have somebody else for that. Me too. Yeah, I actually, I actually had Dak. Like, I felt like it was going to be just the numbers that he put up. Like, I felt like that was going to be enough for him to get Offensive Player of the Year. And then I got the you other know, number four. Yeah, who? I got the other number four. Shoot. Derek Carr. Woohoo! Why did you have okay. him? Hold on, let me let me hear. Let okay. me hear the reason. Oh, okay, oh. that's a wild card. Listen, I feel like not only not only has he been balling out, like he still has a tough division, and I feel like if he he just beat the Chiefs, I feel like he can do it again, and I feel like he can outplay Mahomes in a way. He did do I mean, that. You think you think the Chiefs are getting swept by the Raiders this year? I didn't say that. Ooh, I, we we got a chance too. We beat him. Yeah. A th- we beat him. We already beat him. I mean, th- it sounded yeah. like you were saying that, but I mean, listen. I said, listen. Derek mm-hmm. Carr is gonna do him, but his his like his defense isn't the best defense. It's kind of shaky. But what it is? Derek Carr's standpoint. I think Derek Carr is gonna always ball out. Like he's like. He's shown he's cu- he's cutting down on interceptions. His he really can complete passes like he's really accurate, and like like Chris said, this is just like a ranking. This is like a power ranking thing, and I feel like yeah. there's more things he can he can still do to show to be in a higher case. It is still like, five. I feel like he's limiting himself right now, but I feel like when he gets more comfortable and he has like I don't know he like when he like when he when he finds his rhythm and like goes out there and really, like, really, like, find, I guess, his swagger or find whatever, like, suits him better when he goes out there on, like, on Sunday or whatever, on game day. I feel like he's going to find something that's going to motivate him and play like a real superstar and you, outplay Mahomes, even though they might lose because of defense. I don't know. I don't know if it's that new stadium or just that Vegas, you know, lifestyle. I don't know what it is, but, you, you know, know Aguilar's producing. Yeah, Derek Carr's producing. Like, what's going on? No, you know what's so crazy about this? Because I didn't have the same, like, the same as that take as Mar, but when Derek Carr had his potential MVP season, which I still think he would have won if he didn't get hurt back in 2016, I think that was the year we really saw Derek Carr. And that's where I said Derek Carr is arguably a top five quarterback in the league. Now, seeing what happened afterwards, he's not. But like Mar said, he had a, <laughs> he had a swagger He had a swagger to him that I just liked. He had the – ACDC connection, him and Amari Cooper. He also had another good wideout and Michael Crabtree, a good, uh, not a very, not a strong running game, not as strong as is now Josh Jacobs, but Latavius Murray was running the ball well. When we had a solid offensive line, we still had that same solid offensive line, even though pieces have changed and stuff. I love the addition of Trump Brown and Richie Incognito. That is, that was by far one of the best things we ever got. But Mario's right, he is missing that swagger. And the reason he's missing that swagger is because he doesn't have that, that, number one receiver he got Darren Waller but they didn't really build that relationship mm, you just brought up a great point he's brought up a great couple of points and, and what would make me so happy or what would have been so great if we had Antonio Brown <laughs> the offense would easily be top five yeah yeah 
Yeah, because Josh Jacobs, Josh Jacobs felt like he didn't want to be there. Josh Jacobs compliments Derek Carr. So well. And John Gordon is really showing why he's such a good offensive-minded coach. It's a heavy, it's a heavy run scheme, but Derek Carr still shines in the system. And last year it was tough because we had new pieces. We're still working everything out. We have a lot of unknown guys, new guys like Terrell Williams, Hunter Renfro, still trying to work themselves out. We still don't even have Terrell Williams because he got hurt again. He will be great right now because he's another, another tall receiver that can just go – like if you need somebody to just go up and make a catch, he's capable of doing that. This is why I was so badly wish we had Antonio Brown right now because he would just elevate our offense. And I think because our offense can be elevated to the way it is, it sometimes gives our def- it makes our defense comfortable like it did yesterday or not yesterday, on Sunday, because even though the defense gave up 32 points, we the defense made really big plays after, we, after Josh Jacobs scored his second touchdown. We forced one three and now got the ball back. We forced another three and now because of a sack, and then we picked up Patrick Mahomes based off, off after the, at the Josh Jacobs touchdown. So the offense is there. It's just the defense needs to gain more confidence, and Derek Carr just needs that swagger. He's, he needs that guy again to get that full swagger back. But if anything, this year should show people that Derek Carr is still better than a lot of these quarterbacks in the league. Mm, I mean, that's a great point you just made because, you know, you, you speak of, you know, having swagger or missing swagger, I should say, and, you know, coming back from an injury, having to reprove yourself. I feel like, you know, there's a little, you can draw a lot of parallels between Derek Carr and Carson Wentz, and I feel like, that's really all Carson needs is that number one receiver, and he can go right back. He can come right back to form. I, I, think, like. I think you're right. But to answer the question about who I think is offensive MVP or offensive player of the year, I mean, I was actually looking at two people. I, their car was a wild card, but now that he said that, I kind of – I see where he's coming from. But the two people I was thinking mm-hmm. of were Aaron Rodgers because he is on a mission this year, and Josh mm-hmm. Allen's having his coming out party right now. Yes, thank you, Alton. Thank you for bringing him up. I mean, I had Dak, but unfortunately, you know, Dak, you know, the injury that he suffered on Sunday kind of threw that out the window. But, you know, I needed a backup, and I feel like Josh Allen is another sleeper kind of guy. Um, he's making some crazy plays this year. Because I mean, he has that number one receiver. He has that guy anymore. Stephon Diggs is just like – it changed the whole land, landscape of that offense. We always, when we think of Buffalo, you just kind of just think of the defense, and the defense is kind of going to carry them into the playoffs like last year. But no, I feel like the offense, the offense will finally be able to pull its weight. I feel like Josh Allen, he's just reaping the benefits of having Stephon Diggs. So, I mean, he's a sleeper MVP candidate, too. I don't think he'll win it, but I feel like he's earned the, the right to be in the discussion for it. So. I like that Aaron Rodgers pick. I didn't say Aaron Rodgers because I feel like he's still he's still right behind Russ for that MVP. Like I have Russ, Russell Wilson right now, but like you said, Aaron Rodgers is on the mission and I feel like when he has all of his receivers, which he like he didn't have last year, but when he gets all his receivers again, it's like he's a bad man. He's a bad man. That is number one receiver as we've seen. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Uh, so for defensive player of the year, I feel like that's kind of like a bit of a foregone conclusion too. But I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, I'm looking at Aaron Donald right now. Clearly, as a as the favorite. Would you guys agree with that? Uh, for defensive player of the year. 
he's always in the running. I'll say that, but I say I'll look. I'll just keep an eye on Stephon Gilmore, even though I know he's got COVID right now and he's still trying to work his way back to the field. I definitely keep an eye on him. And if I was to have a sleeper pick, I think my sleeper would be uh, Ryan Kerrigan, to be honest with you. Because he's somebody that nobody really talks about a lot, but he's still, I consider him the lead pass rusher. He's not getting doubled no more, or at least it's going to be hard to double him because Mr. Chase Young, Mr. Number Two Pick. Exactly. So. He finds somebody else to help him out now. He didn't have that since Brian Arakpo. Exactly. Yeah. I uh, I feel I I feel Chris Aaron Donald's always going to be in the running, but um I'm looking at Marlon Humphrey. He just got that contract and he's been producing so well right now. That's another one. Aaron Martin Spears I, is still playing well. Yeah, the, yeah, those are names I haven't heard talked about. So yeah, Marlon Humphrey's been really showing why he might be a top five, a top five corner, arguably top five. And uh, we also have Coach Deere, and, you know, I brought up Josh Allen just a few moments ago, but I feel like, you know, staying with the Bills, Coach Deere, potential candidate could be Sean McDermott just for, you know, what he's done to turn that, you know, program around. Uh, well, I say program like it's a school. That franchise, you know, that team, and um, undefeated right now. I feel like if they win that AFC East, um, he should definitely be a candidate. I can I can actually agree with you on that uh, Sean McDermott pick because honestly early, the early prediction I have for Coach of the Year if for this year I'm actually gonna go with Mike Vrabel and um, Tennessee, but seeing how they're playing right now, I'm not gonna say it's necessarily his fault, but they still have some things they need to work out over there. I mean, I mean gonna, they are three and zero, but I mean yeah, I mean they're gonna be okay moving forward, but it's just it's just they still have some things to work out. Uh, but if I would definitely put Sean McDermott. Uh, Mike Variable, and I think the sleeper for me would actually be John Gruden. Mm-hmm. I think he's. I think he. I think the team is finally starting to come around for Vegas, and I really think that now that they're heading in the right direction, each game is going to be competitive. It's going to be progress, and they can get into. And I think they can get into the playoffs now. If anything, that Sunday was a statement win for everybody. I'm going to leave to watch out for the Raiders. I think. Not saying they're going to win Super Bowl or anything, but they're mm-hmm. going to be very competitive. I got uh, Matt Lafleur. I got Matt Lafleur easy, easy for the Packers. Um, they've been putting up, they've been putting up thirty plus. They've been putting up thirty plus in their four and zero, and they beat the Saints, you know, without Devontae Adams. And so, and then they 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 got a bot, and then they're gonna play the Bucks. So I feel like Matt Lafleur right now is my candidate for uh, Coach of the Year for what I've seen from the Packers so far. And also a sleeper candidate for Coach of the Year. Um, I'm, I'm going to call him King Midas. I'm going to go with Matt Rule in uh, Carolina because everything he touches apparently turns to gold. He turned, you know, he, he made Temple football relevant for two years, turned them into a 10-win program, back-to-back years, you know, got to conference championship games. Then he goes to Baylor, turns that school around. They win a Big 12 title, you know, while he's head coach, 10-win season, and, you know, he, now he's in Carolina, and he's, you know, primed to turn that around as well. They're 3-2 and two right now. Um, you know, are they a playoff team? Wouldn't go that far, but, you know, it's only week five. They have, they're over 500, so look at Matt Rule, too. King Midas. 
So I have a question now. Um, I don't know if uh, Jonah mentioned this, so since we're doing early, um, who we think was going to win the awards in the NFL, who you guys have for offensive rookie of the year and defensive rookie of the year? Well, I will say more so defensive rookie of the year because I think right now we all pretty much know who's probably going to win offensive rookie of the year. C.D. Lamb. Oh, C.D. Lamb? Oh, I was actually saying, I was actually thinking Joe Burrow. Oh, never mind. Well, well, well I was thinking, yeah. I mean, well, um, I could see Joe Burrow, but I wasn't really going to roll yeah. with uh, Joe Burrow. Okay. I feel like that's just an easy pick to make because he's in the one overall pick, and he's been actually really impressive. But I feel like he did have that letdown game on Sunday, and he was bound for that because, you know, he's a rookie. I mean, he's – everyone has that one game, and he was due for one. But uh, – I think Joe Burrow's going to be in it, but right now I got Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert. Yes, he, did, he pulled out last night. Open. He pulled out. He I'm is glad you brought him open. up. And he's been playing some good teams. And he has he's been, been holding his own. Home. He's been holding his own. Against those teams, there's only touchdowns. I only have one flaw with Justin Herbert. Not saying he hasn't been playing well; he's been playing exceptionally well. My only issue is he. I'm seeing what he can do in the second half because the past two games they played, he's done great in the first half, but then the second half, the offense gets stagnant. I'm not saying it's his fault, but I'm just trying to wait to see what he can do. If they anything, did cough up a 23 lead. Yeah. Again, I guess the Buccaneers. I mean, a solid team, but it's just you really no. That was uh, last night. That's, the I'm sorry, that too. Yeah. But they did the same thing against the Buccaneers, though. They were up big mm-hmm. on the Buccaneers, and they came and they still lost. I mean, is that more but of a team I, thing or a Herbert thing? Uh, it's it's obviously more of a team thing. It's not saying it's his fault. I mean, they still have they're still with a lot of injuries themselves in Los Angeles. But I'm saying is that's probably why I'm not so like how Mars like he said he could win it. I, honestly, he has a chance to, but I think because of the fact that he's been stagnant in the second half. It's not just his, it's the whole offense that's been stagnant. That could kind of push other people ahead of him, like a Henry Ruggs, a Justin Jefferson, because those are two wide receivers that have been playing well, that playing exceptionally well. C.D. Lamb, like you said, playing exceptionally well. That's why I'm – I mean, he's going to be in the running for sure, but I just think if it's not Burrow, who I think has been playing really, really well, it's probably going to be either C.D. Lamb or Justin Jefferson. I'll say that. I can I can, I can, can see that. I'm, I'm leaning towards C.D., but, you know – you know, any of those guys is really kind of just wide open right now because it's still only week five. Like, nothing's set in stone yet. Uh, defensive rookie of the year, you know, that's kind of wide open too. Um, a lot of these are, obviously, but uh, got, you guys have a defensive Young. I got Chase Young right now. I'm leaning towards Chase, yeah. but I don't want to say Chase Young, but – I'm really a big fan of Isaiah Simmons. And even though he's had, I mean, I don't say it's a slow start. He's not getting off to the start I thought he would have. But I think going down the stretch of the season, he's going to get better and better week by week. Because that's somebody that's like an ultimate X on defense, which I've almost never seen before in the NFL. Seen in college plenty of times, but almost I've never almost seen in the NFL. Somebody that can just about play every position. But, well, I'll say that. Ryan Ryan Shazier could do that a little bit before he got hurt. So that's probably why I'm so big on Isaiah Simmons. He just reminds me of Ryan Shazier, but except just more athletic, which is very shocking. So would you just say it's like a two-man race now? Uh, I can say two-man race. I can I can definitely say that. You guys have Chase Young right now, and I think going down the stretch. I mean, how's Patrick Queen looking for the Ravens? 
Oh, I forgot about him. I mean, well, I don't want to count nobody out. But. And he's been playing oh, decent as well. I mean, he's got, you know, he's in the right environment you know, for a defense. Yeah, he absolutely is. He's got a lot of veterans around to help him out, which mm-hmm. Isaiah Simmons doesn't really have. I mean, they have to see him next week. Like I said, the other people I think that Isaiah Simmons could talk to on defense would be Chandler Jones or Patrick Peterson. And I mean, I mean, it helps, but then again, they're still missing a lot of pieces. But I think because they still have so much to work on, he's going to shine more. Because again, they have him as linebacker, but one play they could put him at safety, then you could put him at like the nickel cornerback position. So you can just move him around the field. Kind of like a Malcolm Jenkins type guy. Yeah. Got you. I mean, well. These are all some great picks that we made. Um, it's a great discussion, great conversation, as always. Um, going to wrap it up here. This is episode eight. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening. Um, check us out, you know, on Instagram, the Restricted Zone Pod. Uh, we hope to, you know, get some more content out there for you guys for the Instagram page and, you know, maybe start up a Facebook, too. Uh I mean, I don't know who really still uses Facebook, but my family. But you know, still just Patreon gonna put that up for the back, but for the for the uh for the backstage stuff going on. Absolutely. Um. Also, quick news update. Uh, for those who haven't heard yet, the city of Philadelphia they're allowing like they're permitting fans back into the stadiums. Um, we saw it in Pittsburgh last week. Like the state of Pennsylvania lifted their ban, and now individual cities are lifting their bans. So the Eagles will allow up to 7,500, about 7,500 people into the link, which means Temple will also be allowing uh, students back in starting November 5th. Uh, I guess SMU, I'm actually reporting that game, so it's going to be really interesting to uh, be in that atmosphere. And also, you know, I put a little article out, you know, out there. So the link is in my Instagram. You know, you guys don't know my Instagram, but I guess I can put that out there. Check that out. Appreciate it. But um, for now... That does wrap up episode eight. I'm Jonah Wooten. My name is Chris. I got one more comment to make about the Eagles thing. I feel like they go ahead, go ahead. I thought they're allowing fans back in because y'all playing the because y'all playing the Ravens. So y'all need that energy behind y'all to help try to beat them. (laughs) Or maybe Pennsylvania just feels confident (laughs) about how they're handling COVID. I don't know. Hey yo, that's my take on it. Chris is out of pocket. But but that's uh, my name is Chris. Thank you for tuning in. Man, go somewhere, man. Go ahead. Man, my name is Raphael, man. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. I'm Jamar. Uh y'all the bed, but yeah. <laughs> Thank, Thank you guys for tuning in. in. Hopefully we'll be back on Saturday with some uh week six um NFL predictions, also some NBA draft predictions as well. Uh, Once again, I'm Jonah Wooten. This is a Restricted Zone Podcast, Episode 8, and we will see you soon.